Hello fam jam, Shan here at Practice Indie and today we are talking about what is yoga, which is the Australian word for yoga. <laughs> I am uh, like tri-quadlingual, so you're welcome. Um, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. If you don't know me, I, I'm basically mostly kidding. Um, but today, actually, this is really serious. So, well, it's kind of serious. So it's it's as serious as you want it to be. There we go. So <laughs> welcome. Uh, this is like my favorite topic. I've already recorded this episode 400 times because I have so much to say. And I'm, to be honest, starting with some candor, afraid to say the wrong thing. Um, but I think part of why I want to do this podcast and share this podcast is that perfection is an illusion. And I mean, so much of what we're going to talk about today is exactly that. So I will start with a disclaimer that I may say things that you may disagree with, especially if you're like a yoga nerd. Um, You may be able to Google and find different facts. But where I want to start with yoga is she is an old boo-boo. Okay. She's been around for a minute And um, we can speculate how many thousands of years that is, but it really is relative to who you ask, uh, to the historian, to the perspective. So let's just call it that she is a couple thousand years old. She, he, sorry, didn't ask for the pronouns. Um, She, he, they. But yoga is super old and is a practice of self-actualization. So let's break that down. It's an ancient practice all about finding our highest or best self. So self-actualization for me actually um, kind of implies that we're trying to get somewhere or we're trying to achieve our highest and best self. And the quote that I love the most that describes yoga for me is I saw the angel in the stone and I carved until I set it free. So it's actually not that we're trying to grasp at or reach for this person we've yet to become, but rather we're trying to excavate and recover the person we already are. So from the yogic perspective, when we're born, we're born as this pretty pure being. Um, We can get into karma and all that later, but you're born as this perfect, pure being, essentially. And then as you live, life impresses upon you all kinds of things to keep you safe, to fit you within society, or to kick you out of society, or whatever, whatever, whatever. But as you age, as you progress in life, All these things are impressed upon you that like the angel in the stone, you become more and more covered, more and more distant from that perfect self. So it's not a practice of reaching towards someone we are to become, but rather digging into the person we already are. There's somebody that we already know, we're already familiar with, we just have to return to that person. Um, So this, this practice is old, we talked about that, and it also, is uh, the question that comes up a lot is, is it a religion? And my answer is no, it is not a religion, yet it has roots in religion. So um, if we're looking at it from the Vedic texts, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, um, some of these major texts that we will pull from to delineate kind of modern yoga practices and philosophy, 
almost all of them have an undercurrent of a God figure or a universe figure. Um, and through those progressions, like from the Vedas to the Upanishads, it has been attached to Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. And definitely our modern perspective of yoga has a lot of, um, of those cultures and faiths tied into the practice but yoga itself is not a religion and it is not religious um the word yoga actually comes from the word huge and huge would have meant something uh douglas brooks who's a fantastic teacher calls it cutting deals so huge would be when people had just figured out like oh when this um water thing comes from the sky and it wets the ground and i have these seed things there this other alchemical thing happens like rad dude that's what they said that was like a, that's actually a documented conversation um, so <laughs> rad dude, this is neat. Something must be affecting that. And so they started to create their ideals of God figure or figures and say, okay, lady man person in the sky all around me. If I, uh, if I do this thing, if I do this ritual, I set this thing on fire, I offer these flowers up to you. Will you give me some more rain? Will you help me produce more of those plant things? That'd be great bra. And uh, so they do the ritual and that ritual would have been the yujing or later it'll be called the yoking or the yoga, which is to um, cut deals with that deity to produce a result. And so it originally would have been a word used for how we assimilate ourselves to our environment or how we get um, a desired end result out of our environment. So that progresses to more yoke structure, which a lot of people hear the word yoke is also where yoga comes from, like yoking an ox to a cart. So bringing two things together and eventually to the word yoga, which um, we often define as union. And so this gives a really great window into what it is we're actually practicing. And going back to that whole Michelangelo thing, we're trying to reunite with our environment, with our, with our truest self. So that truest self is already existing. It's in us, it's all around us, but we need something to create the alchemy to bind them back together. So there's been a separation and now we want to yoke those things back together. Or there's been another way we can look at it. There's been a veiling or a covering, um, which a lot of yoga talks about ignorance. And ignorance is not like, um, like a shame thing. Ignorance is like a you truly don't know or you've truly honestly forgotten it's a forgetting and a veiled consciousness and so we are working in this practice to unveil that ignorance or to tie those things back together to become one so it's a practice of also unification of oneness and so then it begs the question of okay well what are we trying to bring together so there's um kind of a gross version of that and then there's a subtle version of that and a lot of yoga works in this gross to subtle subtle to gross format so the 
the large concept would be trying to, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, would be trying to yoke or unify ourselves to our environment. So you may hear like super swaggy hippies say like, you know, we're all one man and this like, we're all like the same. And, um, and while actually that I was just quoting myself there, <laughs> um, that is us recognizing that we are actually one with our environment. So that's, and one with each other and one with, you know, one with God, all those things. These are basic concepts that we, we kind of accept as true when we practice yoga, whether you know it or not. So, um, so we're trying to yoke ourselves back to our highest source, God, and we're also trying to yoke ourselves back to our environment, and we're also trying to yoke ourselves to each other. And it, so it's a practice of unification in the most macro sense of it all. And when we think of it on the most micro level, we're all energy. So even in the Yoga Sutras, which are basically like cliff notes for some of the oldest texts of yoga and basically just like a, an outline of how to practice yoga, um, there's the word Anu. <clears throat> and Anu was the ancient word for Adam. So even the ancients understood that that we are so much more than our flesh, our blood. We are these tiny particles that when broken down, we're all the same. We all have the same energy flowing through us, around us, and we assimilate back and forth with that through the phases of life and death. Um, so that is like the macro to micro. The other thing on a, on a more micro level, on an individual level, is we're trying to yoke ourselves back together and that self is typically broken into three components the mind the body and the breath now what i love about sanskrit which is the language that yoga is um written in talked about in and used in your yoga classes hopefully um it is the word breath is synonymous with spirit. And so when we're talking about breath, you can talk about it as the physical, you know, respiration, or we can talk about it as the, not just symbolic, but the physical embodiment of our spirit. And so we're really trying to yoke back or unify our mind, our body, and our spirit. Whew. Okay, so let me pause for a second. We just covered a lot. This is a practice of self-actualizing. We're trying to become or rather recover our best and highest self. This is an old practice. It is not a religion, but it is tied to religions or has, you know, org chart <laughs> ties to. And it is assuming that we are trying to unify something, whether that be ourselves with our environment, whether that be ourselves with ourselves. So if you're like, what? And you're about to hit the pause because you're like, this woman is nuts. I hope I just caught you with the song. Um, but also take a moment to think about uh, when you're, let's say you're someone who drives or even um, maybe you take public public transit, or I've actually had this experience biking, which as I say that out loud, I'm horrified. Um, but <laughs> if you've ever been doing something that's like a, an automatic task, such as driving, walking, biking, riding, public transit, and you get to your destination and you're like, wait, how the hell did I get here? 
or you read, let's say you're like reading a book and you get about two pages in and you realize like I have not processed any of the information or you're in a meeting or you're hanging out with a friend and they're talking and it sounds like Charlie Brown like wah, 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 wah. And meanwhile, you're somewhere else. Okay, so if you've had any of those experiences, that is the process yoga is trying to solve for. We're trying to get you back in the car, back in the conversation, back on the bike in this present moment. And so in the Yoga Sutras, which is a a fairly important text to most yogis, which again is kind of the recap or the cliff notes of some of the older, larger texts, the first Yoga Sutra is yoga, the practice of yoga begins now. So if you hear like mindfulness experts, meditation teachers, yogis talking about, you know, the present, why the present matters, there's tons of books on the present. This is what it's all about, that really what lives in the present is yoga. You yoking your experience, you being fully present and alive in that conversation in your ride home, you know, I'm a really inappropriate person. I'm trying to censor myself, so I won't say what I was going to say. But um, anytime you feel yourself distracted or separate from the moment you're in, the yoga is just getting yourself present in that moment. All right? So that's why so many meditation, mindfulness teachers, yoga teachers are so obsessed with the present moment is that is actually where yoga, where bliss arrives and is, exists. So that's the first sutra is the practice of yoga begins now. And that's really what we're trying to do in a formal yoga class or meditation classes. We're just trying to get you, honey boo boo, in the present moment. Now what's so fascinating about the mind is you can be 20 different places in one breath. You can transport yourself to Egypt. You can transport yourself to cooking dinner. You can do all these things and <clears throat> they are they're illusions. So one word for mind in yoga is maya, and maya means illusion. And so it's an illusion that we can be anywhere but where we are. And so we're just trying to get you in that present state of mind. Okay, so all this goes back to what are we doing here? What is yoga? We're trying to yoke or unify our experience, trying to get you present. So first thing, yoga, the practice of yoga begins now. Second, Yoga Chitta Vritti Narodaha, the second Yoga Sutra, is arguably defining the goal of yoga. Yoga calms the chatter of the mind. Okay, so we're present. I've recognized, oh, I'm, I'm driving and I have no idea that I'm driving and that's, that's dangerous. Uh, so now I'm driving, my hands are on the wheel, I'm breathing kind of funny, I turned my seat heater on and it's really hot outside. That was dumb and also... Uh, what a weird privilege thing I just said. But anyway, um, that, you know, okay, now I'm present and now I'm going to recognize all the cuckoo cachoo that's going through my head. Okay, so, oh, a bird. Oh, I forgot that I left the stove on 40 hours ago. Oh, my butt's hot. Like, <laughs> whatever, right? Now I'm present and now I'm noticing all the chatter. Okay. And then as I notice the chatter, I notice that somebody is noticing. And this isn't like, I always feel like somebody's watching me. It's not like that. Well, it (laughs) it actually is like that. But it's not like someone is standing outside your shower. Um, If you haven't heard that song or watched that music video, push pause, go do it, come back. Um, So you'll recognize when you're seeing yourself, oh, there's a bird, oh, my butt's hot, is that someone within you 
Cuckoo Bachuchu is watching this chatter. So in order to comment on the chatter, right, a commentator on a sports show, let's say, which by the way, I've never seen one. Um, but I imagine they're commenting on a thing they're watching, right? They're not like mid stride catching the football, like, hey, Johnny, he goes for the punch. And or, see, I already don't know a punch. I talked about it in a football game. Anyway, so um, the commentator's job is to watch the game and then comment on it, right? So if you are able to acknowledge, oh, I see a bird, oh, my butt's hot, there's somebody commenting. There's something behind that that is observing and watching. And so then the third sutra says, then the seer abides in his, her, they's true nature. So when you recognize yourself getting caught in the mind chatter, the bird, the butt, and you are aware of it and you try to bring yourself back to stillness or back to exactly this present moment, then you reside in your true nature. And what is that true nature? Holy shizness, she's bringing it all the way back. You reside in the angel and the stone. You recognize, oh, like I am, I am present in this moment and there's somebody more than just the person whose butt is hot. Okay, so now I've probably lost you and you're like, okay, she's doing peyote. Someone call her help. Um, so hang with me, hang with me, hang with me, okay? So you're here. You're recognizing like, oh, there's somebody behind me watching all these things. Oh, I'm this angel. Oh, what's going on? Okay, imagine yourself. You take a deep breath. I just did that, sorry. You recognize that you are more than those thoughts. You are even more than this body. And in that moment, you've recognized or at least approached the state of yoga. So yoga is a verb, we practice yoga, and it's also a thing we land on. It's, it's a state of being. And when we recognize that we are beyond those thoughts, we are in this present moment and there's something greater than just the body, just the thoughts, then we arrive at the state of yoga. And so that brings to mind this conversation between that which is never changing and that which is always changing. So if you think about it for a second, are you the same person, <clears throat> excuse me, that you were three years ago? I would really hope you say no. Um, and, and then you think about, well, the person, the person that was watching, right? So I always feel like somebody's watching me. Hint, it's you. Um, if you think about that, that observer, ask yourself if you think that thing that we'll call it soul has been there the whole time. And if you agree that your soul has been there the whole time, but your body, your mind, your experiences have changed, those are two concepts, Purusha, the unchanging, and Prakriti, the constantly changing. So the, the funniest thing about being human is that we constantly forget two things. One, change is inevitable, and two, we're going to die. And uh, sorry if I just made your whole drive or experience of listening to this get real macabre. But one, things are always changing. So the red line just was put in in Indianapolis and you know people are people are either thrilled, which I hope you're thrilled, or they're pissed, which I get it, but change is inevitable. Like 100 or so years ago, the center of our city was I think our mayor's house and that's how Indianapolis 
uh, downtown formed, how Indianapolis is downtown formed, right? That's completely different than what it is now. Um, and so change is inevitable in the physical formation of the world, but soul, spirit, or purusha, or universe, or God, however you want to frame that, is completely unchanging. It's the constant. So here's what jazzes me up about yoga is that you know people do get kind of caught up in is it a religion and the great thing about it is no it's not and it can fit to anyone's faith as long as you understand that i have this body i'm here for a minute a temporary precious moment and then there's something greater than me and i'm trying to assimilate myself with that thing then you can practice yoga And it doesn't have to be God, it could be universe, it could be community, it could be energy, like whatever phrase, word, thing that you understand as constantly never changing, that is the thing ultimately we're trying to yoke with, okay? So think back to that uh, example of you sitting in the car, becoming aware, recognizing that I'm not just the thought, that I'm present in this moment, And imagine you park your car somewhere and you're gazing at a sunset. And there's that moment of pure bliss where the sun is neither in the sky nor nor beyond the horizon. There's this blissful purple line. And if you've ever watched a sunset, almost everyone has this moment of timelessness, of forgetting your worries and all the BS in the world and just being fully present in that sublime moment. And that truly is the highest form of yoga or the state of yoga. Okay, so that's what we're doing. We're trying to get us there to that moment of pure bliss of watching the sun setting and recognizing that we are not just our anxieties and our depressions and the, and the difficulties and the joy and all the things that come into life, because even those things are temporary, what we are is this undulating, pulsating, never changing vibration that's in the world, okay? And how you wanna define what that is, God, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, um, Martin Luther King, um, Betty White, like however you want to name that unchanging presence, that is great. Do that and then know that this is a practice trying to get us back to that because going back to the angel and the stone conversation, you are that. You are that. And I think what also is so liberating about this practice is once I remember I am that, Tatuamasi, or uh, there are a billion different mantras we could say for, for the recognition of that. I remember that so is everybody else. And so when you, you know, when you see the hippies, you know, trying to give everybody hugs and you're like, hey, bra, invest in some natural deodorant. Um, and you see this, this uh, constant like good vibes only, you know, love is love kind of wording around the yoga culture that's where that comes from is that on the the most micro and macro level we're trying to get back to the source and the source is all of us we are all of each other and it helps me at least digest kind of the great world's problems and then recognize i've got to do something about them because 
I owe it to the thing that pulses between all of us, between all things. Whoa, so that's what, <laughs> that is what yoga is. And, and I could go, I could have this conversation for hours and hours and hours because there's so much more nuance. There are so many schools of yoga. This is just from my limited lens. Um, there, there are different ways to explain it. But for me, this is the most like modern day concept of what it is. And so then we get into, well, then why do we do all the stretches and the breathing and the chanting and the things? These are all time-tested practices that help us get closer to the state of yoga. And in doing them, they are the practices of yoga. So again, it's both a verb, it's a thing that we do, and also a place that we land at or a state of being. And so the first two, um, I'm going to talk about Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, Ashtanga path of yoga, or eight-limbed path of yoga. And not everyone in the yoga world um, subscribes to this version, but every, every line of yoga has some kind of like practices and principles. So these are the ones I know the best. These are the ones that are most popular in um, westernized yoga, at least, at least that I've seen. So the first two um, principles are called yamas and niyamas. The yamas are basically, uh, the, well, the yamas and the niyamas are basically the, um, the Ten Commandments. They're, if you are from a Judeo-Christian background, they're just basically morality laws. So the yamas are things like don't steal, don't harm, don't, um, don't take things that aren't yours. And then the um, niyamas are things like uh, be clean, both you know pure of mind and pure of body. Um, uh, be reverent to a higher power and uh, practice discipline. So those aren't all of them, but those are just some of them. So these general guidelines of like, just be a decent human, okay? Um, then we move into asana and pranayama. So asana is the thing that most people know, the physical postures of yoga. And then pranayama are the breath practices. So if we keep our body healthy and if we're able to control our breath, if you've ever birthed a baby, if you've ever been through a painful event, you know that breathing can change that game, right? So first we want to get the body physically fit or healthy, fit, you know, interchange with healthy, um, just taking care of your temple basically. And then the breath helps us to control the mind stuff. Really, it's a mechanism to control the mind stuff um, in good, bad, painful, not painful situations. So um, the first four are yamas, niyamas, asana, and pranayama. So really just prepping the, the consciousness or the morality and our bodies and our beings for the more progressive steps. So the last four steps or practices are pratyahara, withdrawing our senses. So if you're like me and you live in any kind of sound pollution, I live in downtown Indianapolis, we rarely get away from being at the mercy of our um, senses. We're always consuming media. We're always consuming sound. So pratyahara is this practice of withdrawing from the tantalizing, very addictive um, process of letting everything come through our senses. So really dialing our whole experience inward and trying not to be distracted by our sense organs, if you will. Then the last three are all about meditation. And essentially it goes... Um, from focus, so just focusing on one single point, 
to consistent focus. So I can look at a rose, but then be like, oh, a dog. I can look at a rose, be like, oh, it's a rose. Oh, a dog. So that's the first one is just focus. The second is concentrating. I'm looking at a rose. 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 And then the third is the full absorption. I am the rose, recognizing my Anu or my atoms are the same as the rose, that we are from the same thing, that while our forms are changing, we're actually, we are all the rose. I'm the rose. You're the rose. We smell great. So, um, so the path of yoga really leads up to those last three meditative practices, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. And, um, and all of it creates the practice of yoga. There are, there are other practices outside of that. Within that, this week, we're practicing swadhyaya at the studio, which is a niyama. Swadhyaya is both the study and recitation of sacred texts. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot to it and yet you just got to begin where you where you can so for many people that is the asana practice because it gets us it gets us from the macro to the micro we got to move our bodies first we live in a highly sedentary society in the united states and so if you come to it from the asana perspective awesome um, often what happens is you start to work through the body and you realize like, wow, there are all these other places in my life where I have opportunity to live closer to my highest self. So that is just a, uh, I mean, we could go on and on. We actually have a course here called Yoga University. We put on once to twice a year that dives way deeper into the history, um, into more of these practices, but that's just a little, a little baseline of what is yoga and know that when you engage in the practice of yoga, you are engaging in the practice of giving yourself permission to return to yourself. And in doing that, it's like um, putting the oxygen mask on yourself before you do on somebody else on an airplane. You are, you are finding these things or rediscovering these things back in yourself so that you can assimilate with the larger nature around you so that you can help others to see that innate purity, that innate perfection within themselves. And so the yoga practice is all about first working on the self, be recognizing those things within ourselves, and then acting in the universe around us to help, help us all remember our oneness. So I hope this was helpful. Um, thank you so much for listening. This is obviously a topic I'm passionate about. If you want to know more, hit us up on our Instagram, our YouTube. Check out our website. We're constantly posting blogs and content. Um, or come to a class. We would love to have you. And if you listen to this and have never been to Practice Indie and would like to come to a class for free, info at practiceindie.com. Shoot us an email. We'd be happy to uh, get you on the mat with us and help you rediscover your angel in the stone. So have an incredible day and namaste.